Hello, my name's David. Uh, I worship at Rotherham Evangelical Church. And today we are continuing our series that we've entitled Cross Words, words that Jesus spoke from the cross. So let's look at the words that we are looking at today. They come in John's Gospel, chapter 19, and beginning at verse 25. Let me read them again to remind us. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Well, let me just pray as we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words spoken by your son Jesus. And we pray that as we look at them today, they will be as relevant for us today as they were on the day they were spoken. May they draw us nearer to him as we trust him and follow him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I found this period of lockdown quite frustrating, quite difficult. Uh, I've become an expert in jigsaw puzzles during the time. Um, particularly at the beginning, it was difficult. We couldn't go out as we wanted to. We couldn't visit family and friends. We couldn't go out for meals. Uh, but perhaps towards the, the present time, the most difficult thing is, is that the future is so unsure. We don't know when it's going to end. Events have been cancelled. Holidays for next year have been cancelled. It is frustrating and difficult. There are some, of course, who've experienced far more um, difficult situations than just frustration. I came across some statistics recently um, looking at some of the more uh, serious situations that have arisen because of lockdown. The Guardian, for instance, did a survey and discovered that 20% of adults during lockdown had considered self-harm or even suicide. And that's compared with a similar survey done some years ago uh, when it was just 6%. The Daily Telegraph has done, another, uh, done a survey and discovered that inquiries to solicitors for divorce has risen by 42% during lockdown. And even in my own family circle, uh, three marriages have broken down. The United Nations ran a survey and discovered that domestic violence has increased by 20% during lockdown. Now these are serious issues and, and I would say that uh, if you are um, suffering any of these or, or similar situations then um, my heart goes out to you and I would encourage you to contact uh, someone or some agency that would help, perhaps even a church, um, our own church, Rotherham Evangelical Church, you can contact us uh, via the website. But how can the words Jesus spoke 2000 years ago from the cross help us? How did it help the people around him? Well, let's go back and look at the situation, shall we? And let's try and find out. The scene was a bleak scene indeed, a rocky outcrop on the outskirts of Jerusalem, in the bleak, uh, a bleak hillside, in the searing noonday heat. Three so-called criminals are being executed by the Romans. Around the periphery of, of, of the site, um, there's a crowd who are mocking, jeering, shouting, perhaps just relieved they're not the ones hanging on the cross. A bit closer in, there are some religious leaders. They too are mocking and jeering, calling out things like, 
Oh, he said he's the king. But he doesn't look very kingly now, does he? But closer in, particularly around the central cross, there is a group of closer family and friends. And amongst that group is an elderly woman and a young man. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and John, his closest friend and disciple. What must they have been feeling at that time? Mary looking up, seeing her eldest son, hanging there, humiliated, naked, bleeding, in agony. Her pain must have been immense. And John, who left everything to follow him, left his father, his business, uh, and followed Jesus because he believed that Jesus was going to be the one who would rule Israel, God's chosen king. He would kick the Romans out and Israel once again would be God's kingdom. Now that's all come to nothing. His future looked bleak, his hopes dashed, nothing to look forward to. They were, they were bleak times indeed for these people. What about us as well? How could the words of Jesus help us in our loneliness, our sense of loss and bereavement perhaps, our inability to connect with uh, our friends and families, and perhaps our hopelessness as we look forward to the future? Well, we're going to look at this passage under three headings and hopefully that would help us to see how Jesus can help us in these situations. First of all, we're going to see that Jesus sees and has compassion. And then we're going to see that Jesus forges a new relationship with himself. And finally, that Jesus forges a new community of love. So first of all, Jesus sees and has compassion. John tells us here, but when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple he loved standing nearby, Jesus saw. Now this does, doesn't mean that Jesus was just idly looking around, uh, admiring the view and his eyes happened to fall on John and Mary. No, it's a miracle he could see anything at all. The sweat and the blood from the crown of thorns running into his eyes, which of course he could not uh, flick away. Uh, his face contorted in pain and agony, his head jerking up and down as he gasped for every breath, his full weight hanging on the nails driven through his hands and his feet. The pain was immense, the suffering enormous. So when John says he saw, Jesus must have taken a deliberate uh, effort to look down at Mary and John. And he didn't just see their physical situation, he looked and saw into their hearts. He saw the pain, the agony, the frustration, perhaps even the, the complaints. Why did he let us down like this? How could he lead us on and it all end in this mess? Jesus saw and he had compassion. In fact, all the time that he was hanging on the cross, Jesus had compassion for those around him. He had compassion for the very soldiers who had driven the nails through his hands. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He had compassion for the thief on the cross next to him. That thief called out to Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And here he's having compassion for Mary, making sure that she's going to be looked after in her old age. But I think most of all, 
He's having compassion for the whole of humanity because he's hanging there, bearing the sin of mankind, your sin, my sin, taking it away, bearing the punishment that we deserve. On his shoulders, the whole wrath of God against all the sinfulness of human beings is being taken so that you and I, if we come to him in repentance and faith, can be forgiven and have access to God our Father. Now that's compassion, that's love, that's a sacrifice that's worth looking at. One of my favourite passages in scripture uh, comes in the Old Testament. It comes when uh, Moses was being called by God to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and uh, take them into the promised land, into Israel. And God said this to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Did you catch the heart of God in that? I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned about them. That's God, that's the heart of God. That's God, the God we know and worship. And it's the God who was there in the person of Jesus hanging on the cross, seeing, knowing, having compassion. He knew about Mary and John. He knew about their situation. But he hasn't changed just because Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven gloriously. He's still the same Jesus. He still sees. He still has compassion. He still looks and knows. He sees you and me. He sees us in the situation we're in. Perhaps the loneliness of bereavement, the frustration of not being able to visit elderly relatives, not being able to share in a funeral or a wedding, the hopelessness of the future. Maybe you've been caught up as a young person in the exams fiasco recently, and your future dreams and hopes are, in sh are shattered. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what the future holds. Jesus looks down, he has compassion, and he sees. That verse in Exodus uh, continues. God doesn't just look and see, uh, it carries on. He says, I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God doesn't just look and see and then sympathise. No, he comes down and does something about the situation. Uh, for the Israelites in the Old Testament, God came down and uh, in a pillar of, uh, represented by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, he led and protected the Israelites through the desert. What did he do for us? Well, he came down as well. He came down in the person of Jesus Christ, down to this earth to live amongst us, share our joys and our sorrows, and ultimately to pay the penalty for our sin upon the cross. That's our God, the one who sees and comes down. Jesus has compassion. He had compassion then and he does now. He said when he was on earth, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And those words ring true today. Come to Jesus and he will give you rest. He sees and he has compassion. 
He's waiting for you to come to him in faith, in repentance and in trust. So next we see that Jesus forges a new relationship with himself. When Jesus speaks to his mother, he calls her woman. Now the NIV tones this down a bit and it says uh, dear woman, but actually it is just one word, woman. Now that's a strange way to address your mother, isn't it? I don't think I would ever address, address my mother like that. Um, and would we, would any of us go to our mother and say, woman, do this or woman, do that? I think in the Hebrew um, society, it, it wasn't a disrespectful term. Uh, we don't have an equivalent translation in English, really. Madam is a bit too formal. Uh, lady is, is a bit archaic and sounds a bit like a, a cockney market trader. Come on, lady, two for three or whatever it is. <laughs> but no, uh, woman, it's, it's a formal term. It certainly isn't intimate. It's not mum or mother. Why did Jesus address his mother like this? In the uh, first miracle that John records in his gospel, Jesus uh, is in a village called Cana and he's attending a wedding uh, and his mother is there as well. Uh, and uh, during the wedding feast, the wine runs out and Jesus' mother goes to the wine steward and he says, uh, whatever, and she says to him, whatever my son Jesus tells you to do, you do it and it'll be okay. And Jesus rebuked her and he again used this term, woman, woman, why do you do this? Why do you ask me? Is Jesus being rude to his mother? What's happening here? I think it has to do with the need of all of us to get our relationship with Jesus right. And Mary had to do that as well. We have to see Jesus for who he is, that he is the Lord. He is the one in control. And Mary had to see that too. Certainly at the wedding in Cana, I think Mary was probably proud of her son. He was obviously known as a miracle worker because she assumed that he could do something about the situation. And she said to, to, to the steward, listen, Jesus can do, he can sort this out. Uh, but Jesus uh, had to show her that she couldn't presume upon him because she was his mother. She had to change her view of him. She had to change her idea that she had some control over him uh, because she was his mother. And she had to see him as the one in control, see him as Lord. And I think that's the same here on the cross. She was looking up at the cross and seeing her son, her beloved one, dying in pain. And now she had to change her view. She had to see him in a different way. She had to see him as Lord and Saviour. Uh, some theologians over the ages have tried to um, look at this uh, scenario and read um, things into it about Mary. Uh, they've suggested that perhaps Mary represents the Jewish church and John the Gentile church, which is a bit strange because John was a Jew himself. Uh, they suggested that Mary might be seen as the mother of the church, or even that Mary can be worshipped and venerated. Uh, but I think all these are looking at this from the wrong direction. They're looking at it from the ground upwards, if you like, just like Mary was looking up to Jesus and seeing themselves as the centre and Jesus as the victim, the one hanging on the cross. Whereas we need to look at it from the other way around, from Jesus, his view downwards. 
He is Lord. He is the one in control. He is the one organising things. And we on the ground need to see that. He's not there by accident. He's not there because um, of circumstances. He's there because he voluntarily went there to give his life for us. Mary needed to change her view of Jesus. She needed to see him as Lord and Saviour. When uh, the angel announced to Mary that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, uh, she uh, burst into song, not unsurprisingly. Um, and her song went, uh, began like this. My soul magnifies my God and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Even then, before Jesus was born, she recognised that she needed a saviour and that the one she was going to bear would be the saviour. But maybe that had slipped out of her, her, her sphere of thinking. Maybe she still saw Jesus as her son. She needed once again to turn to him as saviour and Lord. I don't know what views you've had of Jesus in the past or, or even now. Uh, maybe you've seen him as a good teacher. Uh, maybe you've seen him as somebody worth listening to. I think it was Mahatma Gandhi uh, that said that if being a Christian meant following Jesus's teaching, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and that's all it meant, then he would be the first and, and uh, strongest Christian because he so admired Jesus's teaching. Uh, maybe you've seen Jesus as, as a prophet sent from God. However you've seen him, uh, like Mary, you need to change your view of him. You need to see him as Lord and Saviour, the one in control. This uh, uh, sentence that Jesus spoke, woman, here is your son, here is your mother, is almost like a, a, a legal form of words. It's the, the sort of words that will be used in an adoption ceremony when a child is uh, introduced to and handed over to uh, new adoptive parents. It's a legal formula. But the interesting thing here is that Jesus is the one doing the, the, doing the officiating. He is the official, the judge, the Lord, if you like, overseeing the whole procedure. Jesus on the cross is there overseeing the arrangements, not just of his mother being handed over to John, but of the salvation of the world. He is the one in control. He is forging a relationship, opening the door so that we can come to, to God through faith and trust in Jesus. What's your relationship with Jesus now? Do you know him as Lord and Saviour? Will you come to him and not just write him off as another person of history or even as somebody that we're not even sure existed? Oh, he existed all right. He was there in history and he is the Lord. Will you come to him and acknowledge him as your Lord and Saviour? Will you ask him into your life? Will you see him as the one in control, the one who has the power and authority to forgive your sins and to open the door to God for you? Well, secondly, then we see that, uh, sorry, thirdly, we see that um, Jesus forges a new community of love a new community in which brothers and sisters are formed and love one another and share together. When Jesus uh, died, his mother, Mary, uh, would have been left 
um, without support and without help. Um, and Jesus here handing her over to the care of John was a very strange thing to do. Um, she certainly had younger sons because Jesus's brothers are mentioned. They would have been his half brothers, those for whom Joseph uh, was their father. Uh, Joseph was not Jesus's father, uh, God was, but uh, Mary had other children um, who Joseph fathered. Probably Joseph had died by this time, he's not mentioned again. Uh, and Jesus's younger half-brothers don't seem very interested, they don't seem very sympathetic towards Jesus at this time. Um, and they're probably away in Galilee anyway and not, not nearby. Um, Mary may have had other relatives. Um, she had a cousin we know called Elizabeth, but she was probably dead by this time. Um, there may have been others, uh, probably were in a family like that. But Jesus doesn't commit them to them. He, as the elder brother, had the uh, responsibility of seeing, uh, seeing her, her looked after uh, in her old age. And she doesn't, he doesn't commend her to her family. He commends her to John, to his disciple. And that's a seismic shift in responsibility, a shift away from the human family towards the spiritual family, the family of believers in Jesus. When uh, Peter um, followed Jesus at one time, he boasted about leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. Just like John, he left his fishing business um, to follow Jesus. Uh, but Jesus said to him this, I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says that if uh, we, for any reason, lose our earthly family, we gain a new family if we're followers of Jesus. We gain a family that, uh, that cares for us, that loves us, that watches over us. Now that doesn't mean to say that we don't care for our, earth, our earthly family. Of course we do, we love them, we care for them, and we help them as much as we are able to when they're in need. But it does mean that we gain, if we are Christians, we gain a new family in a new dimension, a spiritual family. And it's a worldwide family, a family that stretches down the ages and through into eternity. It's a family of love and hope. It's a family where homes are open to seeming strangers, where tables are set to feed the hungry. Yes, and where wallets are open to help those in need. Every Christian is born into this family when they put their faith and trust in Jesus. I've experienced how this family works from time to time in different situations. Um, I've seen a church pay for one of its members um, to fly to Malaysia to visit her family because she couldn't afford to go. So the church paid for her flights. I've seen a home group uh, go down on its hands and knees and scrub literally excrement off the floor of the flats of one of their members. I don't have to explain how that situation arose but it did and uh, it wasn't a very pleasant experience but the uh, members of the home group were happy to help out in that situation. I've seen homes opened, in fact I've seen uh, uh, people move out of their home for, for a period, for a weekend and give the home over to a youth group 
um, for the weekend. Um, no idea what's going to happen when you do that, have you? But I've seen that happen. Examples, small perhaps, of how the family of God can work together. How this new family works to support and love one another. And there's a challenge here for us. If we are part of this family, are we being involved in a deep way with one another? Are we sharing together, supporting, helping one another? This passage in scripture, this exchange, uh, words of Jesus to Mary and John, open up a whole new dimension really. John says at the end, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. The word for time there is literally the word hour, um, 60 minutes, hour. And the hour um, throughout uh, John's gospel is very significant. We mentioned the, uh, the wedding in Cana right at the beginning of his ministry early on. And when Mary uh, approached him um, to try and do something to, to sort the, the problem out, Jesus said to her, my hour has not yet come. And then right at the end, um, at the Last Supper, which is just the evening before his crucifixion, uh, John records for us that Jesus knew his hour had come. So what is this hour? It is the moment of his glorification. Uh, and that, strangely enough, is the moment when he is dying on the cross for our sins. That is the hour. That is the culmination of all that he came to do. That is um, the, the finish, if you like, of his ministry. The hour. So when John says from that hour on, this disciple took her into his home, that is a significant change. It means that from that moment, this new community had been born, this new fellowship of love and sharing. When John took Mary into his home, it was the first act of love and obedience to Jesus in this new community. And many acts would follow, but that was the first one. He opened his home to a woman in need. So I want to close now with, with two challenges, really. The first challenge is, is to ask you, uh, how do you see Jesus now? Do you see him as uh, a teacher, someone to be respected, or do you see him as the one who can come to you, forgive your sins and uh, take you into the presence of God? If you're not a Christian, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus yet, then I would urge you to reconsider your view of Jesus. Pick up a Bible and read one of the one of the four Gospels, <coughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke and John uh, in the uh, in the second half of the Bible. They are the accounts of Jesus's teaching, life, death and resurrection. Read them and open your eyes to who Jesus is. Come to him, pray to him, ask him to reveal himself to you. And finally, commit yourself to him. Come to him, admit that you are a sinner, that you have neglected God, that you've gone your own way. Ask him for forgiveness and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And if you do that, I guarantee Jesus will answer. He will come to you and he will open the door of heaven to you. So that's challenge number one. Challenge number two is uh, if you are a Christian here today, how much are you involved in the life of fellow believers, both locally and worldwide? Are you ready to give time and effort to those who need, in need 
Are you ever t are you ready to visit the lonely? Open your home to those perhaps who are on their own, students, single mothers, the elderly, those without friends and relatives around about. Are you willing to be a family for them? And further afield, are you willing to look uh, abroad? There are Christians across the world who are suffering poverty, persecution and hardship, and there are organisations ready and willing there to help, but they need support. Can you support them both prayerfully and financially? Jesus then on the cross uh, changed the world. He opened the door to heaven and he forged a new community. Well, I hope we can be part of that and I hope that you will take up those challenges today. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these words of Jesus. Thank you for all that they can mean to us. Help us in the situation that we are in to entrust ourselves to him, to make him Lord of our lives, and then help us to serve him by serving one another. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening uh, and uh, do get in touch if you want to uh, with Rotherham Evangelical Church. If you want to know any more about the Christian message, um, please do through the website. Um, and I bid you goodbye and God bless.